Hello and welcome to Swana Region Radio, a weekly review of politics and culture from Kolkata to Casablanca here on KPFK. My name is Sarai Saruk and I am a member of the South Asia, West Asia and Northern Africa or Swana Collective that brings you your weekly half hour of Swana Region Radio. In recent months, people have gathered to protest across Sri Lanka and in the diaspora as the country faces its worst economic crisis in post-independence history, resulting in extensive power cuts and shortages in food, fuel, and medical supplies. Amidst these government-created catastrophes, ordinary citizens have been rallying together to provide whatever they can to others in need of basic essentials. Today, we are joined by Nadika Jayasingha and Fazina Rajapdin of Community Mealshare to discuss their work of distributing hot meals to marginalized communities in Sri Lanka. Nadika is a former Australia-trained nurse and educator who has been drawing upon her personal and professional experiences as the co-founder of Community Mealshare, which was established recently to bring hope and sustenance to those communities that deserve better. Fazina Rajabdin is director and CEO of Colombo Fashion Week and executive member of the Responsible Fashion Movement in Sri Lanka. She supports Community Mealshare to identify and expand their reach to communities in need. Due to the current and ongoing economic and political crisis in Sri Lanka, Community Mealshare is preparing to expand their program. Nadika and Fazina, welcome to the show. Hi, Saraya. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Could we start by telling us where each of you are located? Are you living in an area where there's power cuts happening currently? And how are those impacting your days? I live in Colombo and I work in a suburb called Malabe. So, you know, the power cuts have been affecting me almost continuously because, um, you know, sometimes I would go to work and we'd have about a four hour power cut. And now because of the fuel crisis, we have been having issues getting diesel as well. So the generators are not working. Um, So we have these power cut schedules and then um, you finish work and then you go back home and then it's the schedule for your power cut in Colombo. So sometimes the power cuts would go for about anything from four hours to eight hours. My parents live about uh, two hours away from me. So when I visit them, they have longer power cuts as well. And so, yes, it has been affecting us quite a bit. And, you know, I think it's been affecting other people more than me. So in that sense, you know, I think I'm quite lucky as well. Um, But for community meal share, it's affected us in other ways as well, because our kitchens experience power cuts. So, you know, it's affecting us with our work as well right now. But we've learned how to work around that. This is Fazina. In terms of power cuts, I live in Colombo too and work in Colombo. So we have different periods where the power goes off, like a few hours in the morning, few in the evening. So even if we do sometimes plan to get out to work where there is power, um, it's not always on schedule. So it's very chaotic. Um, and my children are on holiday these days, so they are struggling to be at home. And uh, we're Muslims and we are fasting at this time. And the most difficult part is when the power goes out in that one now where you have to break fast. So it has been challenging. Uh, Luckily, when we do go to work, we have the generator on so I don't get caught to the power crisis there. But it's very unpredictable how this power works and it has actually um, reduced the output of all our working spaces and even the industries due to this. Right. I'm hearing that there's a schedule, but sometimes those schedules don't really make any sense to anyone. 
So what are you seeing in terms of what daily wage workers in your neighborhoods are facing with regards to these um, similar power cuts? Well, for me personally, um, I travel to work by taxis and three wheels, um, three wheelers uh, almost every day. And when I speak to them, and I also see this on the roads as well, um, a lot of our daily wage workers are in fuel queues and, um, you know, milk powder queues and cooking gas queues. And it's taking away a lot of their working time, if anything. Um, you know, sometimes the three wheel drivers and, um, you know, other daily wage workers, they're in queues for about three to four hours. Um, sometimes they get to the top of the queue and then realize that there's no fuel left. Um, so they wasted four hours of their working time. Um, and, you know, it's created a lot of frustration as well on top of the economic side as well. And um, I see a lot of other workers, even in my own workspace um, and the daily wage workers, and, and they're really struggling with these queues because um, this lady was saying how her husband goes for uh the fuel cues and then she goes for the cooking gas cues and there's nobody at home to look after the kids um, and it's creating a lot of uh, mental and emotional turbulence as well for these people. Nadika, how did Community Meal Share come about and what are some of its guiding principles? So Community Meal Share was initiated by myself and my partner Gayan um, and a lot of our family initially um, funded us and we were able to support communities at a smaller scale. Um, we started this very recently but um, we thought about this actually during the COVID-19 lockdown because we saw very similar concerns back then um, and over the last say month or so it's it's grown really fast. Um, we we have two models of work where we have meal runs where we actually pack um, a vehicle with food and we deliver it to certain communities but we also have stationary kitchens as well so in the last month we've had many stationary kitchens um, one was um, in Vallavatta um, where we were able to feed at least 600 people um, we also have stationary kitchens uh, during Ramadan in certain communities which we'll be talking about soon um, so that's how um, we we started community meal share and we just don't want to bring uh, food to people's tables. We also want to start having further bigger discussions about bringing a different set of values to their homes as well, where we can support each other um, without really thinking about race or religion or um, any difference that actually separates us. Um, and I think it's about time we have those discussions as well in Sri Lanka. Um, you know, some of our values include um, providing privacy and confidentiality to our meal recipients. Um, it's very important to us that we maintain confidentiality. Um, when we go on these meal drives, you know, um, we understand that the people receiving the meals could be people that we work with or meet at the grocery store or, you know, at, at, a, at a community level as well. Um, so we, we maintain privacy. We do not take photos of them. Um, and this sometimes is a bit of a challenge when people say, look, you know, we're donating money. You know, do you have any images? So what we do is now just provide images of the food and ourselves, really, um, because it's very important to us that we protect our communities as well. 
Thank you for addressing that, Nadika. Um, so how many other people are involved in the collective's work? And what does a typical day of, say, cooking and deliveries actually look like? So basically, it's myself and my partner, Guy, and uh, we started this. But then, um, so Fazina, I've known her for quite a while now, um, and she's been instrumental in supporting us with strategy and development. And we've, you know, we've grown because of her support as well. But also, um, she's giving us you know, much required support in terms of community consultation with minorities. And then we also have many who have volunteered to support us with our social media um, and just many volunteers in general. We also have a lot of um, family input, which is really important as well, being Sri Lankan, I suppose. And, you know, we are Sri Lankan and our parents have done this way before us, uh, but just not at an, at an official scale. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, we've got quite a lot of uh, official and unofficial support. Can you tell our audience about the different communities that the collective serves? Where are they located and what barriers are they facing in just getting their basic necessities day to day? We have uh, identified actually seven different locations, um, mostly, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes away from Colombo. But uh, the locations outside of Colombo or in the between uh, Kamali and Mavananda, which are very far away, where we have identified um, very specific family members or trustworthy individuals who can support us um, and kind of replicate uh, the process we're doing here. And that really is our plan for expansion. Uh, if you can create a model that is easy to replicate and have uh, and increase the access to networks, uh, these communities that we have. Having said that, how we chose these communities, literally people who uh, live in a space, you know, it started with people who come to work for us, uh, people we meet outside at our workplace. Um, we've actually mentioned uh, how difficult it is to um, find food or cook food or get rations. So when we actually accessed them, went into this, so you say it's, it's a majority, it's a huge space with um, families and families and children with, um, without access to a proper cooked meal. And um, that's how we access these communities and really identified them in a very basic way of whether they have something to eat or not. And uh, us going there repeatedly kind of made us understand that how much they needed it. Um, you know, after we did round one, round two and round three, the desperation that you see in them um, actually is what made us think, okay, every area within the suburbs has a community like this. And uh, we just uh, started talking to people and accessing them. And that's how we've created over uh, eight to 10 communities right now. Um, why we aren't reaching out is because we want to take care of this community to its maximum support where we don't just provide one meal a month and go out of it. We're trying to keep it um, continuous so they they know it's coming uh, which gives them a lot of comfort really and um, and now we're talking to partners who can support them in the same manner just to add to that Soraya if I may um, I mean I, I just like to touch on a few things that we experienced when we go into these communities I mean things that I've not experienced um, in Sri Lanka there have been times when they've literally fought for the food um, and, and that, you know, it's, it's, 
it's it changes a lot of things for us as well in the way that we see communities and what we expect as well we've not seen this in sri lanka and it, for me that just shows it's it's frightening to see that people are worried about where their where and when their next meal would be coming from um and that's what i think motivated us to just keep doing this and to expand um because we we are we're starting to see um a very different side to sri lanka you know um back in the day you wouldn't you know even when we deliver food you wouldn't really see people fighting for food or coming running from far away um and we're starting to see that now which you know which i think is um it's yeah it's it's a bit of a concern and i just hope that we can expand more um in the next few weeks are there any other stories that you've heard from the people in these communities or just experiences that you've had that have really stayed with you that you can share with us yes i mean there's been many and you know after every meal run sometimes fazina and i go uh, to go together sometimes i go with my partner you know um i i come home and i have to call someone just to kind of debrief as well because it's it's really overwhelming to see this um we had times when we had meal runs ready for the entire weekend um you know to elderly homes and you know many communities and then i'm sure you would have heard about the curfew that was imposed a few weeks ago very suddenly um and then we got a call from the elderly home saying that there's just no food um there's no cooking gas there's absolutely nothing and so there were 30 people who were expecting food and we couldn't get there and for me that was very difficult and was you know um and there was just absolutely nothing we could do about that um and there's other stories as well um my parents are from kalutara so we you know we visit um, estate workers to provide meals for them as well um and you know estate workers themselves are quite marginalized in this country um and you know um it's it's quite i think it changes a lot of our thoughts and you know um how we see the world and how we see sri lanka as well i think in these moments um you know there are people who just cannot afford a meal there are people who come to me and say that they lived on two cups of um uh tea with milk powder a day sometimes because they just couldn't afford a meal and now there's no milk powder in the market as well um so you know you hear stories like this um and then you come back home thinking you know how can we support them further and i think it's one thing to understand that we probably are quite limited as well in the support that we can give but yeah it's quite difficult to hear these stories uh, if i may just add to that in terms of experience um yes it is very disheartening i think that's what actually uh, kept us going nadika myself and gayan um to when you see these people uh, reach out to you in a certain manner which uh, you know we've lived here all our lives and you know my family my parents would do meal runs like this you know once every friday and but it it hasn't been to this sense and it's it's not the homeless that you see coming after you in this manner so that's what actually keeps us going because uh, you almost feel responsible to do your next drive and support them in the long term um while i say that uh, sri lankans are a very resilient group of people we've gone through so many of this over and over again and when i do um this one particular incident where i saw this very young feisty little girl um you know with 
black sparkling gray eyes who was that haunted her twice. And um, she's, she's probably five years old and she came with her plate and she had a spirit in her to see this through, to get through to the line, the way she conducted herself. It actually gave me a little hope. There are days that you and um, it's really our place to be there for them and support them in whatever way we can. So they see this truth. So there is hope. And uh, in every difficulty, we see that glimmer of hope. For those of you just tuning in, you are listening to Swana Region Radio on independent and listener-sponsored KPFK. I am Saraya Zarouk with our guests from Community Meal Share in Sri Lanka, Nadika Jaisinga and Fazina Rajapdin. Um, I wanted to ask, in doing this work, you know, are you seeing the ways that in addition to economic struggles, people are being made increasingly vulnerable um, based on discrimination against their religion, ethnicity, caste, gender and sexual orientation or disability? So I kind of work with uh, a few communities um, in Colombo, and I can talk to you a bit about um, well, two two separate incidents. Um, one is um, I work with this lady. She's the community leader for one of our communities and her daughter is disabled and she has been experiencing, um, it's it's been very difficult for her because she has to now stand in queues. Um, she is unable to take her daughter with her. Um, she could be in a queue for about three to four hours a day. Um, and sometimes she would take her daughter and she says that it's, it's, it's quite, um, it's a very difficult situation um, as people aren't so forgiving right now as well. And they're not uh, su- very supportive. Um, so we can see that people who are differently abled um, and their families as well, they're struggling right now. But at the same time, we understand that um, you know women in general, you know, they've lost a, you know, they require a lot of security right now. Um, again, we have women standing in queues from, you know, for overnight sometimes, sometimes two a.m. They stand in the queue, and it goes, and they could be in the queue till about like, you know, eight p.m. Uh, that same day, um, and it's become very difficult for them. Um, right now and also once again many minorities in Sri Lanka are facing this especially those who were already vulnerable in their communities Um, you know they need to speak up now and they need to ask for their essentials which they struggle with Um, and we see this with the communities that we support Um, and these are some of the stories that are coming out um, how a lot of people, um, even fishermen, um, when they go out to sea, you know, their their wives now have to go and stand in these queues and ask for essentials. And it leaves them in very vulnerable positions. Um, yeah, so those are some of the stories that have been coming out. Fazina, could you speak a little bit about the Muslim communities that Community Meal Share is serving? And how are they managing in terms of fasting for Ramadan right now? Uh, yeah, we've done a bit of work in um, Trincomalee in Malanada, primarily Muslim villages. Um, it's been a very difficult time because they have no access to gas. Uh, they need to they need to cook at 4.30 in the morning because that's how they work here. Uh, the family wakes up, has the warm meal around the table just before they fast and the breakfast time. So having access to, they haven't had access to that and that makes it very difficult. So which means we have uh, kids who are seven years old and um, older than that 
who take part in the Ramadan time. Uh, as much as it's a month of giving, the, um, there isn't a lot to give. There isn't access to what we can give. Um, there isn't access because there's no fuel for even people from the, the better suburbs to take these to them. So the communities come together, how we've helped them is uh, fund a centralized kitchen, not centralized mops that cooks the meal for all of these people, and which they generally do. But what we've seen this, this time is that um, everyone's coming to that space because there's nothing they can do at home. So uh, as much as it's a month of discipline, it's really, um, let's say, checked uh, on their patients and tested their value system. Uh, it's made it difficult because um, it's not just the Muslims, I'd say, it's this month in Sri Lanka. We've celebrated the single end Tamil New Year. We've celebrated um, Easter and then now in Ramadan. So every community was celebrating something in its simplest form. And um, it wasn't much of a celebration. But uh, with Ramadan, it's always around food to from Iftar to fasting and um, even sharing meals has been a challenge. So it's not something that they've experienced in the past. Um, so uh, we're doing what we can with these communities. Um, uh, we have something coming up on the 27th, which is um, one of the important nights. So we're trying to um, uh, provide meals for them to actually fast. Uh, where they stay over at the mosque at four, four o'clock. So we are doing what we can. Could we talk a little bit about what some of the ways that you are hoping to expand in the coming months? Yes. So um, in the coming months, we are definitely looking at expanding to uh, the north of Sri Lanka. Um, there has been many challenges because we have been trying to do that from day one. Um, the thing about expansion is also that we really need to know a lot of people in those communities, especially community leaders. We are getting a lot of feedback as well, though, from the North saying that they too want to tread very slowly with certain things, especially with community related things. Um, and that could be, you know, due to many reasons, uh, social and political reasons as well. So one of our biggest challenges is to get into the North um, and also to just identify people from there who are quite willing to support us. We can definitely support them with finances as long as they can create a similar model in those areas as well. Um, but yes, we do want to um, go into those areas. But my personal wish one day is to have a, a stationary kitchen, a permanent one in Colombo. Um, and I'm saying Colombo purely because then I can also be involved in it. Um, you know, I, I would love that soup kitchen idea where, you know, anyone, anyone really can just walk in um, and just serve a meal and go. Um, so I have been speaking to a lot of people. Um, there are a lot of operational and financial challenges that we see. Um, but, you know, that is something I can hope for in the future. Sorry, just want to add to that how we plan to, how we strategize to expand really is um, uh, more access to more communities all over the island and really replicate this model where we have enough funding to sustain each community on its own. So uh, while we help uh, right now, while we are helping in a centralized manner, we want to reach out to communities abroad or um, uh, corporations outside who can say, hey, I'll take care of this part of the country. I'll take care of this city. 
So it's not um, dependent on a central funding, however, individually taken care of. So, so the continuity of it uh, remains most applicable. And what can our listeners do to help your work and to help the communities you serve? Um, ideally, as Fazina said, we would like you know listeners or organizations or um, anybody to support a certain community long term, if that's possible. But we also understand that you know if you're a Sri Lankan listener, this is a very difficult time for everybody. Um, and I really do not expect Sri Lankans also, though they are known for giving, I do not expect them always to support us financially. But what they can do is support us volunteering by volunteering, um, by supporting us um, on our meal drives, um, you know, just to initiate certain things. I've also asked a lot of Sri Lankans to just reach out to us and say, hey, listen, there is a certain community who hasn't had meals, um, you know, that, that they're really struggling right now, just to let us know that so that, you know, we can plan that into our meal drives at some point as well. Um, so that's really essential for us. Um, but I also, you know, I urge a lot of our listeners to replicate this, you know, wherever you can. Um, I am actually a nurse by background. Um, so, you know, it's not like, I I really understand, you know, you know, running a business or, you know, I think anybody can really do this. Um, and there's no such thing as competition. So even if somebody else starts it, that's really wonderful because then we can all work towards the same goal. Actually, I'd like to add to that um, to say, uh, yeah, this is not Nadika's and my day job, but uh, we had a passion for it and we had a need to want support. And that's where anyone can help if there are community leaders um, who are in touch with people in certain villages. Uh, we have a model that can be easily replicated. We can support it uh, as long as there's transparency in how we do it the same way that we do. Uh, we're happy to expand in that way. Uh, another way that, uh, like Namita said, the people can support from a diaspora, like from uh, the U.S., uh, it's a great time uh, now because the dollar value is so high for us, so a little goes a long way. So uh, a meal costs less than a dollar um, uh, if you actually convert because of the inflation and where the dollar rate is right now. So we are not really looking at a lot if you are if you're willing to support uh, a meal drive uh, four times a week for three months or uh, twice a week for three months. Um, so what I meant was a little goes a long way. And uh, due, uh, due to this inflation status, it is what uh, people who are earning in dollars can help us, help this community, rather than what Sri Lankan can do. Although we've got a lot of love and support from our own community here, uh, the diaspora that can really uh, help us in a big way. So a little goes a long way for us at this point. Nadika and Fazina, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. That is all the time we have today. I urge our listeners to follow Swana Region Radio on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where we will post information about how you too can donate to help people get basic necessities in Sri Lanka. The Swana Collective would like to thank our guests, Nadika Jayasinghe and Fazina Rajabdeen from Community Mealshare. You can find them at www.communitymealshare.org and on Twitter at EatHappySL. If you would like to contribute to Community Mealshare, please email them at communitymealshare at gmail.com. 
Thank you as always to Ankin Antharam for post-production and the KPFK Board Ops. Next week, KPFK begins a fund drive and I urge all our listeners to please tune in and donate to the essential work of KPFK, without which a show like this one would not be heard on mainstream U.S. radio. Please pledge your support at kpfk.org. I am Sarai Zarouk of the South Asia, West Asia, and Northern Africa or SWANA Collective, and on behalf of all of our collective members, thank you for tuning in.